Okay, um, tonight our, our topic, as you can see, is the, is the Trinity, and I just want to look at some passages here, and we'll kind of we'll walk through this little, uh, little bit of an outline here, or just points, really, to talk about. Um, so, first of all, um, God in His very being has always existed as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, yet he is one God. Let me, let me just say personally, I like it uh, phrased that way. God exists in three persons, or as three persons. Um, I think uh, last week, or I don't know, recently we we read. I'm gonna read it again right now, part of it from the Baptist Faith and Message. Um, let's see. Yeah, the second article of the Baptist Faith and Message um, says there is one and only one living and true God. He is an intelligent, spiritual, and personal being, the creator, redeemer, preserver, and ruler of the universe. God is infinite in holiness and other perfections. God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and his, per his perfect knowledge extends to all things, past, present, and future, including the future decisions of his free creatures. To him we owe the highest love, reverence, and obedience. The eternal triune God, now here's the part I was looking for, the eternal triune God reveals himself to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, now personally, I don't like that phraseology because it's too easy to get around, uh, and we, we see people doing that uh, today. Um, for example, T.D. Jakes, you know, there's been controversy uh, about T.D. Jakes' position on the Trinity, but with, with this kind of language, he's able, and he's not Southern Baptist, by the way, but, but, uh, but I'm just thinking of, you know, some that, that would get around uh, this terminology. With this terminology, um, you can say, well, yeah, God manifests or God reveals himself in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But uh, I, I like um, to be a little more explicit and say he, he exists eternally or has existed eternally, does exist eternally as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So God in his very being has always existed as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, yet... He is one God. So, again, I know, I know these things, um, in, in one sense, sound very elementary um, and kind of are. I mean, every Christian should believe this, obviously. But, uh, but there's a lot of stuff out there today where, um, you know, you'll you run across people who otherwise you might think are, are, are Christian, but then um, on, on topics like this, uh, they take a different route. We'll probably talk about some of that in a, in a moment. So, so it's important to understand this and, and uh, understand what the Bible teaches on it, uh, even though you, you might be thinking, well, of course, there's only one God. But he, he exists, here, and here's where it gets tricky for us as human beings. He exists, has always existed as three persons, yet he is one. In fact, the term Trinity, which we'll be talking about here, is, uh, is, is the idea of triunity. That's what it means. So um, God is three, but he's not many. He's, 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 he's not plural in essence. Plural, plural, there is plurality in personhood, but not in, in essence. So we're talking about one God and three persons. Second point there, historically the term Trinity, and I'm walk through a couple of these before we look at Scripture, but we'll get there in just a minute. 
Second point here is historically the term Trinity um, or the phrase, it should be R, or the phrase Holy Trinity has been used by the church when speaking of the plurality of God. And I'm talking about the plurality of persons, if I can pronounce it. Plurality of persons, again, not of essence. There's, there's our being. There's only one God, but he exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, I also make a point of, of saying that usually, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, John MacArthur for the longest time held to the view that um, Jesus um, became the Son when at his incarnation. Now, he's, he's, uh, he's recanted of that, and there's a written, you can, you can read his, uh, you can find that online, and, and he, he wrote a very good uh, uh, little explanation um, and, and uh, when, he, when he changed his, his mind on that. But you, you will sometimes run across those who say that uh, Jesus hasn't, hasn't always been the Son. I think the Scripture teaches that um, that's an eternal, uh, that, that's who he is as, as the second person of the Godhead. That's his eternal relationship to the Father. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So just kind of making a point of that as well. Okay, the term Trinity, third point here. The term Trinity is never found in the Bible. That's one of the big objections. Like sometimes you talk to, uh, if it, maybe you have, maybe you haven't, but talk to uh, a United Pentecostal, for example. And they'll say, well, you know, nowhere is Trinity in the Bible. Well, of course, the term theology is not in the Bible either, but, you know, we don't have a problem using that. Uh, they probably don't either. Um, so Trinity's not in the Bible, but the concept, the concept is. The term Trinity is never found in the Bible, but the concept it represents is taught in the Old and New Testaments and is progressively revealed. Um, Trinity means, as I mentioned a moment ago, Trinity means triunity or three in oneness. So again, one God in three persons. And that's... that's um, that's who God is. I mean, that's, that's the way He's always, always been, always will be. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God existing in three persons. Now, again, some people will say, well, um, you, you find the Trinity or the teaching, of, of at least the concept in the, in the New Testament, but not in the Old. Well, I think, I think it's in the Old, too. It's just not as, um, it's not as clear because, uh, like so many other things, there is progressive revelation as you move through the Bible, um, through through redemptive history, and uh, so this is this is one of those things, um, and, and we'll we'll be looking at some of those passages in a moment, and I, I think you'll see the difference <coughs> in the Old and New Testament, and yet you'll see that it, it's it's there, or at least implied, uh, and I think strongly. So God is one. So again, I want to make a, a, a big um, point of that <laughs> because, again, the critics, those who criticize the Trinitarian view, um, are always accusing us of, of uh, being um, um, polytheist or something like that. No, God is one. We're talking about one God who exists in three persons. Deuteronomy 6, 4, uh, we believe this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's the Shema, the uh, ancient Hebrew prayer. If Leslie were here, I'd get her to 
say it for you in Hebrew. I think she still remembers it. She learned it as a child. Um, uh, but that's that's the the uh, the Shema that they that they recite uh, frequently. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. So God is one, not three, and yet um, there is a plurality of persons in the one God. Each person, next point, each person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit is fully God. This means that all three of the Holy Trinity all three persons, that is, Father, Son, and Spirit, possess the fullness of all the divine attributes. And we talked about some of these last week. And here, here's three here. Including omnipotence, omniscience, or omnipresence. But you could also apply that to uh, all of God's perfections. Like, again, we went through some of them last week. But you think about God's love, for example, His mercy... Um, well, those perfections, so in other words, the, the fullness of divine love or the fullness of divine mercy or the fullness of divine joy or, or whatever attribute it is that you're talking about, each member of the Trinity possesses those divine attributes fully because um, Father, Son, and Spirit are fully divine fully god each person of the trinity is fully god so each person possesses the fullness of divine attributes that raises some questions right and one and again one reason it's important to uh, to make a point of this is is because we want to affirm strongly affirm uh, the deity um, of of Jesus for example and also the deity of, of the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit and Jesus, fully God. But now, when you think about these, um, uh, these, these attributes I have listed here we, 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 that are referred to as non-communicable attributes, in other words, God alone has them, omniscience, omnipresence, um, omnipotence um, is... is Let's just, let's just, for the sake of application here, let's apply this to Jesus. Is, would you say that Jesus is omnipotent? He's all-powerful. Amen. <laughs> what about um, omniscient? He's all-knowing. All right. Well, we can go to passages and, and, and verify that as well. Those are, I mean, you know, at least if we believe the Bible and believe, believe in Christ, those are relatively easy. Here's, here's one that might get our heads spinning a little bit. What about omnipresence? Is Jesus omnipresent? Is, is, let me say it this way. Is Jesus everywhere all the time? Yes, I think the correct answer is yes. Yes. Um, so, because he's fully God. And so he, he, had, he, he possesses fully all of the divine perfections so yes even though he now has a physical body um and and this is why it makes our heads spin because we're talking about two natures human nature and the divine nature joined in one person jesus christ 
so obviously that's uh, a little more than, than we can comprehend since uh, we have a hard enough time dealing with our own single nature <laughs> and, and we don't have a divine nature. Um, but Jesus is fully God and fully man and Lord willing we'll talk more about that later when we, when we get to that topic, the deity of Christ. But he's fully God and fully man so he has two natures, the human and the divine. And um, he, he even has a physical body. Um, and, and my understanding is he will forever remain fully God and fully man. So he, he'll have a, a, he, he now has a physical body. He will have a physical body. But, but in his divine nature, um, he's, he's still fully God. He never stopped being God. When he became a man, when he was conceived, um, when the Holy Spirit... Um, uh, when he was conceived, conceived by the Holy Spirit in the, in the womb of Mary, when he was born in Bethlehem um, as a baby, um, he was still, in his divine nature, he's fully God. So he, he never ceased being God. So yes, I think that the answer is yes. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. He is um, omniscient. He, he, he possesses fully all of the divine attributes. Yes, ma'am. When he's going to return? Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a very common question. And again, that's another one of those places that will get our, our head spinning a little bit. But I, I think the answer is the same as what I just gave about his om, om, uh, omnipresence. In, in, in his divine or let me say it the other way, in his human nature, he, he would not have that knowledge from his human nature. And I think that's what he was speaking from there. I mean, I know that sounds a little odd, uh, again, to us, but, uh, uh, but you know, none of us, none of, yeah. I, 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 but that's a great question, and, and that's one of the reasons I was, I was uh, saying that about he never ceased being God. Uh, I don't think he ever he ever stopped um, or, or or put down any of the divine attributes. You know, some people teach that when he became a man, he he laid aside certain divine attributes. Well, um, I I think what what Philippians two is talking about, um, where it, where it says he emptied himself. Uh, I, th I think it's talking about he emptied himself of his glory. Uh, you know, in other words, he left. He left the glory that he had. You know, in John 17, he talks about returning to the glory that he had with the Father before the world was. So that's what he emptied himself of. And he, and he took on the form of a servant. That is, he became a human being and apparently um, pretty much looked like and act like any other human being on the street so that if you passed by him, you wouldn't even realize that he was the Son of God necessarily. So he laid aside his glory, but not, not his divine attributes. Yeah, he who knew no sin became sin for us, right? Yeah, he, uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he never, he, he's, he bore the punishment. He bore the, the, um, the wrath for our sin. Um,
Yes. He didn't. Good way to put it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because he w- he wasn't the wrath wasn't being poured out for his for for his sins. It was being poured out for ours. Our sins were put to his account, so he bore them at that moment. But like Bob said, he didn't become a sinner. Never became a sinner. There 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 are, are uh, <coughs> popular charismatic teachers out there that teach that he was the first born again man. Well, why would he need to be born again? You know, and and I think that's one reason they they do that because they they think that. Uh, well, I, I don't know what all they're thinking is there. I better not even go there. <laughs> but but he didn't need to be born again. You know that 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 could be. And you know that's right. And if you if we approach it uh, rightly, it's it's wonderful to think about because uh, it helps us realize that uh, <laughs> he, he he's beyond us. His his ways are are higher than ours. His his thinking higher than ours. So so um, I mean that's how great God is. right okay walk through a little bit of the scripture references here on the next point hints of the trinity in the old testament and i use the word hints because as i said a while ago it's not it's not explicitly taught um but i think the evidence is strong um and i'm just going to give you a couple here Uh, genesis 1 1 through 3 for example in the beginning, God, and that even that term, uh, incidentally, is plural, uh, Elohim. And and uh, I know, you know, I've, I've heard, uh, 
and, and I'm not disputing this, I've heard language teachers say um, the idea is plur plural in majesty. So, I mean, in other words, it's a, it's a liter literary device um, to, to use the plural noun because of the one you're speaking of is, is, is so majestic. It's plural in majesty. And I don't doubt that. that I'm not, like, like I'm saying, I'm not disputing that at all, but I still think there's a hint here hint here at the at the uh, the plural plurality of personhood in God so in the beginning God Elohim that's the plural for God created the heavens and the earth the earth was was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water so already in in verse one you've got God and then in in verse two the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, verse 3, And God said, let there be light. So, And there you have the Word. And God said, he, that is, He spoke the Word. That's the, the Son, the eternal Son, Jesus. You go to John 1, 1. This is what John's referring to. He says, in the beginning, he uses the same uh, opening phrase that uh, Moses does here in Genesis, in the beginning. John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And, and here you see that in, in uh, John 1, because you, you, if you read down through the creation account, you see over and over again, and God said, and God said, and God said. And John says, I think it's in verse 3, John 1, 3, that, um, that the Word created everything. It wasn't anything made that was made without the Word, except through the Word. So you've got God, the Father, the Spirit of God hovering up. You've got God the Father, first created the heavens and the earth. God created the heavens and the earth. And the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters. And then you see the Word of God in action. God said, let there be light, and so forth. And then you look down at verse 26, Genesis 1:26. God said, let us, now we've got plural pronouns, let us make man in our image. That's interesting, isn't it? Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Now notice verse 26 let us make man in our image. And then you get to verse 27. God created man in his own image, singular. So he uses uh, plural pronouns there to describe himself. And in fact, there, even you know, Moses is describing a, a conversation here. God said, let us make man. Who's he talking to? I mean, some, some people have said... Um, well, he's talking to the angels, but, but there's no evidence uh, in the Scripture that angels were involved in creation or that we are created in the image of angels. We're not, we're not created in the image of angels. We are created in the image of God. Psalm 45, verses 6 and 7.
Psalm 45, verse 6. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the writer of Hebrews, by the way, quotes this and uh, applies it to Jesus. Again, Psalm 45, verse 6. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Now, he, he's, first he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And then he says in verse 7, God, your God, has anointed you. So he's, he's referring to two persons as God, using the term God. And, of course, the explanation for that is, um, first, it, it's talking about Jesus and, and the Father. And, and that's how, as I said, that's how the writer of Hebrews applies it. Your throne, O God, in other words, he's speaking to Jesus, speaking about Jesus. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated weakness. Therefore, God, God the Father, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And while we're in Psalm, Psalm 110, verse 1. This one, by the way, Jesus quotes um, in Matthew. But Psalm, and this is quoted several times, but um, in, Matthew, in, in Psalm 110, 1, rather, the psalmist writes, The Lord says to my Lord. All right, here's the case. We were talking the other night about um, <clears throat> the, the, the terms for Lord, the Hebrew terms for Lord, Yahweh and Adonai. And, and we're given a clue in, in, the, in our English translation as to how to recognize which is which. And the reason is because Yahweh is, is the proper term for God. It's the, like a proper name. It's not just a, a, like in, in English, you know, we, G-O-D is a generic term. Well, Yahweh in the Hebrew is not a generic term. It's talking about God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of... Of, uh, of, of Jacob. It's talking about the one true living God. And so when it's translated into English, usually uh, most translations that I know about, um, they use all capitals. There'll be a large um, up, uppercase L and then smaller but still uppercase O-R-D. If you got, you know, like the King James or the ESV does that as well, I think probably all of the uh, the major translations do that. If it's, all, if it's all uppercase, that's Yahweh. But then if you see lowercase letters, like the next word, the Lord, Yahweh, says to my Lord, that's Adonai. Um, that, that's a more, more general term, although, um, you know, it's, it's, it's often used about the true God, but, um, but it's still a more general term. So the Lord, Yahweh, that is, Yahweh says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Well, so you've got the Lord, Yahweh, saying to my Lord, David says. Well, who, who is David's Lord? Thought it was just Yahweh, isn't he? I mean, David's not a... David's not an idolater, is he? So who's he talking about? Who's he referring to as my Lord, my Adonai? 
Yeah, it's a prophecy. He's talking about Jesus. In fact, um, go to the next section, the Trinity in the New Testament. In uh, Matthew 22, 41 through 46, and this is great. This is one of those discord, uh, dialogues, you know, where Jesus is talking to the Jews. And in verse 41, Matthew twenty-two forty-one, 41, it says, While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Now, put yourself in this place here, in this context. Jesus is talking to the Bible experts, okay? The theologians. And he says, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. I mean, that's a no-brainer. <laughs> he says, descendant of David, the son of David. So verse 43, he said to them, that is, Jesus said to them, how is it then that David in the Spirit calls him Lord? Now, Jesus is talking about uh, this verse we just read, Psalm 110. The Lord said unto my Lord, he quotes it here, the Lord said unto my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. So you see what Jesus is doing? He raises the question, Whose son is the Christ? And, and, and Jesus is interpreting Psalm 110 as a prophecy concerning the, the, the Christ, which they don't, they don't seem to have a problem with that. They understand that. Um, they, they understand that it's a, it's a prophetic uh, utterance concerning the Christ. And Jesus says, um, why does David call the Christ Lord? They said, they answer, he says, whose son is he? They answer, the son of David. He said, how is it then that David in the Spirit calls him Lord? The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put. So you've got two persons being called Lord. And one is God the Father, um, and the other one is the Christ, Jesus. David's Lord, in other words, David's Lord is, is the Christ. If da and then verse 45, Jesus goes on, If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? You see what, what Jesus is saying. It seems a little bit anachronistic to call um, to call the Christ, the son of David, if he's, how can, how can the Christ be the son of David if he is David's Lord? How can, how can he be David's Lord and David's son at the same time? That's what Jesus is asking the Pharisees. Why does he call him Lord if he's his son? If David is living centuries before the Christ comes into existence, and this is going to be his his um, his descendant, you know, centuries away. Why would he refer to him as Lord? And of course, they can't answer. Hmm. He's both, but that's because he pre he preceded David in existence. He already existed. Um, but they, you know, they, they didn't they didn't have an answer. Verse forty six. No one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. Well, again, because Jesus is Lord and He always existed. He is the Son of David, but He's also David's Lord uh, because He's God. 
He's fully God. Um, some of these I'll just mention for the sake of time, unless, you, unless you've got a question or, <coughs> or a comment about them. But Jesus' baptism, everybody remember what happens at Jesus' baptism? John baptizes him, and, and, and uh, who is it that descends upon Jesus in the form of a dove? The Holy Spirit, right? And then someone speaks from heaven, God the Father, right? And all this is happening simultaneously. So Jesus, the Son, is being baptized. God the Father is speaking from heaven, and the Holy Spirit is descending upon Jesus in the form of a dove or in the appearance of a dove. And uh, um, you've got all three persons right there present in one scene. So um, I've, I've, ta I've, I've talked you know, over the years you know, with different times with, with oneness Pentecostals about that incident. I've never, ever heard a good explanation you know they, they they deny the trinity and they say they try to they they say that jesus is god but they say you know first you've got god revealed as again why well, don't uh, i'm not not particularly crazy about the using the word revealed they'll say first you've got god revealed as father and then jesus comes well that's god revealed as as the son as the messiah but it's the same person and then Jesus leaves and the Holy Spirit comes, and now you've got God revealing himself as the Holy Spirit. But it's all the same person, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all the same person just revealing himself differently in different ways. Um, and so, you know, I've, I've, I've asked this question before, as others have too. How, how then do you explain his baptism where you have all three of them in the same place at the same time, even speaking, um, you know, like the Father speaking about Jesus. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Or how do you explain John 17 where Jesus is praying to the Father? And I've never ha heard a satisfactory answer on that. I don't think I will because I don't think there is one um, because the reality is God is triune. Um, one God, yes, but existing in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah, he sent, he says over and over again, the Father sent me. So, um, yeah. <clears throat> okay, so Jesus' language in the, in the Great Commission also, um, he says that we're to go and baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So, so again, there, I think you, you have uh, the Trinity. Um, he, he seems to... Uh, uh, equate them in other words he's talking about us baptizing when he says in the name of he means in in the authority of or under the authority of and and he puts them on on an equal uh setting you know you you're going to be baptizing in the name of the father son holy spirit equally god paul's language in um first corinthians let me go ahead and go to first corinthians twelve four. And 
it's interesting interesting a lot of times um, you know if we if we play pay close attention to the to the wording um, here in verses 4 1 Corinthians 12 verses 4 through 6 Paul says and we, we were just looking at some of this the other day but Paul says now there are varieties of gifts but the same spirit there are varieties of service but the same Lord referring to Jesus and if and that's something to keep in mind, by the way. If you, if you will notice the use of that word Lord in the New Testament, almost always referring to Jesus um, rather than God. They, they usually use theos, the Greek word theos, which is translated God, um, for God. When you see Lord in the New Testament, almost always referring to Jesus. And, and I think that's what Paul's doing here. So he says, um, again... Varieties of gifts, same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is, it is the same God. So right there, you've got the spirit, the Lord, and God. Uh, spirit, Son, or Jesus, and the Father, God. Paul refers to each person of the Trinity. Um, let's see. Just a chapter over, so 13. No, that's 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 13. 2 Corinthians 13. This is uh, Paul closing out the letter to the Corinthians, second letter to the Corinthians. Chapter 13, verse 14, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. There again, you've got the Trinity. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Powerful prayer as well. And Ephesians, Ephesians 4, 4 couple pages over, a few pages over. <clears throat> Verse 4, chapter 4 of Ephesians. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and the Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So, um... There you've got one spirit. There's one body, one spirit. And then verse 5, one Lord, referring again to Jesus. And verse 6, one God and Father of all, referring to God the Father. Now Peter's language in 1 Peter chapter 1. And I love this. This is a great... Um, great uh, reference regarding God's work <clears throat> the work of the Trinity in our salvation 1 Peter 1 1 Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia Asia and Bithynia and here he goes according to the foreknowledge of God the Father so there you have the Father the sanctification of the Spirit, there you have the Holy Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ. 
there of course is Jesus um, and for sprinkling with his blood and that's an awesome verse because Peter is uh, is is giving us some insight to the uh, the the roles of the the persons of the Trinity in our salvation verse 2 according to the foreknowledge of God the Father so Peter says you were called according to the foreknowledge of God the Father um, summoned then he goes on to say in sanctification of the Holy Spirit we talk about that a lot of times the the, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit he he um, he's the one that re- regenerates us gives us life spiritual life and then and then he begins his sanctifying um, process in us conforming us to the to the image of Christ so we're we are we are elect are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. So there you have a reference to the sacrifice of Christ which takes away our sins and also to our, our, uh, our coming to Him in submission, obedience to Jesus. And by the way, notice how uh, I was thinking about that, uh, I don't know if it was this morning or yesterday, my days run together sometimes, but... Um, you know that, that's part of that's part of salvation. A lot of times we, we think it's a separate thing, but o- obedience that that's part of it. Someone who obeys Christ is someone who's redeemed. Someone who's redeemed obeys Christ. So he says the Spirit does His sanctifying work for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. So we're we're brought into submission to the Lordship of Christ, and our sins are taken away. So there you got the, the work of the Trinity in, uh, in our salvation. And one more, I think we got time for here, Jude's, Jude's language in Jude 20. Jude 20. But you, beloved, building up yourselves in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, there's the Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, reference to God the Father, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life, reference to Jesus. So there again you have the Spirit, uh, God, Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So just kind of a simple summary. God is three persons. Each person is fully God. There is one God. (laughs) Three persons, but not three gods. God is three persons. Each person is fully God. There is one God. And they're not parts either, by the way. Um, That's that's why the term fully is used there. It's not like you've got a third of God over here and a third of God here and a third of God here. No, each one is fully, fully God. All right, so any any thoughts on any of that? All right, that's pretty good. I mean, everybody's got a grasp on the Trinity. <laughs>
Yeah, no, that's a good point. You mean just Unitarian in general? Unitarian in general. In other words, people just, yeah. Yeah, and you make, uh, you know, I, I, I use the one that's Pentecostals because they're, they're prevalent in this area. And, and that's one reason it's, it's important to know these things because, you, you, you know, you'll be working beside them and talking to them, talking to them at lunch or whatever. Um, they're prevalent in this area. But Brother Carl makes a, a, a great point because it, there are, are um, other, oh, I guess I don't, I don't even want to use the word denomination. There, there are other religions and so forth that, that are Unitarian. In other words, they, uh, well, Islam is Unitarian, for example. But also the, the Unitarian Universalist, which is, which is pretty prominent in, in our country. And I mean, it's, well, they're small in numbers, but, but there's a lot of them out there. Um, so, and like you said, just the, just the, uh, the general mindset out there, period. Um, lost people, lost people don't 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 accept really the deity of Christ, and I don't think that. And, and this is one reason um, uh, I said the things I did about the the one is Pentecostals. I I don't think that anybody who who takes the Unitarian view, in other, in other words, if you reject the Trinity, I think the the inevitable um, logical end to that is that you strip Jesus of his deity. I, I don't think you can not. That, now, they say they don't. I, I mean, I understand that, but, but, but logically. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
praise the Lord. Yeah, Jehovah's Witness is another one that comes to mind, but and they will come to you. <laughs> uh, anybody else before we before we dismiss? All right. Well, um, let's have a word of prayer. We'll dismiss. Brother Carl, you mind leading us in prayer?